Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. Today, Jess Nevins joins me to discuss this Kickstarter, The Fury of the Northmen. Heavily researched and options galore, you too can play the clans that terrorized Europe. We talk about other groovy things as well, like obtuse Silver Age comic book superheroes and librarian stuff. I have a Patreon that I drop unedited recordings into. I haven't done that for a while. Let me get back on the ball. Where's the stick? Or is it the habit? Not sure how this evolved into the garments of nuns, but here we are. It's late Friday night, and I'm writing this intro and editing it for a podcast that's dropping tomorrow morning. That, my friends, is a dreadful collision of high ambitions and procrastination. Time to load the ships. I can smell the plunder on the westerly winds. Sisters and brothers, it is time to get rambling. Hello, Jess. Hi. Thanks well, th- for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. It was kind of a uh, kind of a late notice. Uh, I was I happened by your your Kickstarter by way of uh, of a of Mark Finn, who listed a whole bunch of various Kickstarters and. And I saw what you had, and I was like, wow, that is very interesting. The Fury of the Northmen. Right. Yeah, it's my uh, historical Viking high fantasy 5e compatible role-playing game. Yeah, it's quite ambitious. I mean, looking at your Kickstarter, some some wonderful art, uh, a lot of lot of lot of juicy bits in this there's no uh doesn't look like gristle looks like there's a lot of meat on the bones uh there's no uh shortage of cool viking stuff yeah when i started doing research on the vikings i was surprised at just how much low-hanging fruit was there as far as role-playing and how how much of viking history and culture and mythology would do perfectly in a role-playing game. And I was sort of disappointed that no one had ever done a straight historical fantasy Viking game. So I decided to write one. Yeah. And I find it kind of interesting, even looking back with like with mythology, I mean, we, uh, you know, with D and D kind of that kind of being a descendant of war gaming, it sort of went a certain direction with mythology. It's, right. it's like it like it was only mythology as it applies to, you know, fireballs and you know, and five foot squares, where it's like you know if you take mythology as its as as face value, there's really a lot of really interesting things that that we've kind of ignored. Yeah, one thing I found really interesting when building the game was that the way that the Vikings and the Anglo-Saxons conceived of magic was not fireballs and lightning bolts. It was a lot more subtle, uh, a lot more curse and charm and fear related. And so when I made the spells for the game, I had to make them fit into the Anglo-Saxon and Viking paradigms of magic rather than go the explodo route. But uh, as far as mythology, yeah, there's... Admittedly, not everyone... Not all gamers are going to have the access to the resources I've got because I'm a college librarian. So I've got access to all these books and all these articles and all that. And I 
spent three years buying books and reading them as part of working on the game. But there's so much out there in mythology that has gone overlooked or has been theorized recently or discovered in the past 20 to 30 years that, as I said, it was it felt like low-hanging fruit to me because it was all just hanging there waiting to be used. Yeah, and I think there's definitely been, you know, I, I don't watch them, but I know there's been a number of popular shows based on 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 Vikings. Uh, I think that's definitely kind of, you know, in the in more in the zeitgeist right now as far as uh, you know popular culture. So seeing the timing as far as that goes is, seems right. Yeah, um, I I wanted to get it out before the film The Northman came. I wanted my ideal was to have the Kickstarter start the same month as the film, the movie came out, but I couldn't manage it. Um, but Vikings are definitely in the zeitgeist. Um, reasons for that are, are pretty varied, but I, or I think, I think the reasons for that are pretty varied and interesting, but. Well, such as what? Well, I think there is uh, not a crisis in Western masculinity, American masculinity, but we are at a time when a lot of the traditional verities about masculinity are being questioned. And so there's a certain segment of the population that would prefer to look backward. And the Vikings were, to all appearances, had a very simple, simple even simplistic gender scheme you know the viking men were men and the women were women and so i think there's a certain segment of the audience that is rooting for them because they're sort of projecting themselves into that world um part of the part of the reason i think is because in the past 30 years there's been a huge boom in Viking studies fueled by these all these archaeological discoveries. And that filters down into the into mass media. Like one of the advisors on the Northmen was this uh, uh, academic named Neil Price, who's written some fantastic books over the past ten years, twenty years on Vikings. And so he, his the scholarship through him directly influenced the film, and I wouldn't be surprised if the the TV shows Vikings and Vikings Valhalla also were taking notes from what the academics have found. So, I, I think there's there's there are more reasons than that, but those are two of the big ones. I think. Well, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, if if you know um, the idea that academia is actually filtering to the common person, we'll say, the pedestrian through media. If they can get it right, it's just kind of interesting that, I mean, you think about really the power of fiction, um, really it can be can be quite useful for even, you know, teaching rather than just following the old, you know, stereotypes. Right. Uh, sorry, I just... Uh, distracted. Uh, my wife just came home. Um, yeah, it's it is 
academia doesn't often get the chance to get it to influence the media in this way. And it seems to me that there are Viking studies academics are are taking advantage of this profitably for everyone concerned. Um, there are other academics I'd love to see, other Viking scholars who I'd love to see influencing mass media, but um, I'll take what I can get. Yeah, you know, thinking back to the Lord of the Rings, the Peter Jackson films, like, you know, I know we're not talking about reality, but the idea was, I mean, he was pretty serious about, you know, remaining true to a lot of this and spent a lot of time on details and it sort of paid off. I'm wondering in some ways that's kind of, you know, that's been the impetus to, you know, with the Vikings, with the academics, like, you know, that following in those footsteps. Yeah. Uh, given how much of a, a profitable enterprise the Lord of the Rings movies are, I wouldn't be surprised if other filmmakers are t- took note of the historical accuracy and decided, well, you know, I'm willing to spend half a million or a million dollars more if I can get all the details right. I'm, there's the the film The Vich, uh, set in 17th century Puritan New England, that apparently was completely uh, accurate down to the nails in the house. Um, there, the the Victorian movies of the past decade or so that are getting a lot more accurate in terms of details there. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of, you know, and I also was thinking about, you know, it probably didn't go completely into the science, but like, uh, you know, watching The Expanse, there was a number of things that were just very odd, you know, like, because they're in ZOG, it's like, uh, you get stabbed, you're going to die. It's like, your body's not made to really be dealing with zero G and healing. And it's just like your cr- legs crushed and all the, I can't remember was, the minerals are going to start dissolving your body. It's like, like catastrophic things are going to happen. And you don't really think about that because we're right. used to this, but it's like, but you can take things that are true and, and filter it through fiction. And it does help inform people's, you know, view of how the world and the universe works. Yeah. And academics going where the audience is rather than expecting people to go to them, kind of a sea change in how academics work. But I, I, as a sort of amateur academic, I think it's great. Get Use whatever vehicles you have to get the information out there. More power to you. Yeah, even what Christopher Nolan was, was an interstellar where he uh, modeled the black hole, got a bunch of scientists did the thing, did the rendering, showed it to him. It's kind of kind of interesting how what they said informed him, then what he did based on the way he was informed in his vision of it, also then you know went back and reinformed their view of of things too. It's just kind of interesting oh. how you you know it's kind of like even with Steven Spielberg and the dinosaurs, you know, it's like he kind of did his thing with Jurassic Park and then you know people sing it's like, oh in because it's more visual then they could you know right. think about things differently not that what he did was more accurate but it's just kind of interesting how 
you know, you, you think the arts and academia really aren't related or science, but in a lot of ways, they they can be very complementary as far as opening up people's, you know, thoughts uh, and imaginations um, beyond just what, you know, they see. Yeah, um, the days of the ivory tower are pretty much gone, and I think we all agree that's a good thing. And now you get these academics in in a lot of different fields becoming advisors to mass media projects or uh, the science fiction writers who formed a council and were called in to talk to various presidents, all that sort of thing. That's, that is an interesting wrinkle in 21st century America that I wouldn't have guessed. Well, I think the other thing is, in a lot of ways, the geeks have won. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... It's, you know, we, we've, now we've kind of infiltrated all various aspects of, of art and of life. And, and, uh, now it's, you know, it's being reshaped and it's okay. So, so now you have the, the ivory people in the ivory towers are actually now are now fans of star Wars. It's okay. Right. They're not ashamed of it. It's like, yeah, I can enjoy and have fun. It doesn't affect you know, my view of the solar system or, or how, you know, the dynamics work, but it, it, it definitely goes to show that, you know, we are kind of in a, in a different situation over the last probably 20 years that I never would have foreseen. Yeah. Uh, just the Marvel movies, some of the characters they, that show up there, if I told my nine-year-old self about it, he simply wouldn't have believed that I was going <laughs> yeah. to see whoever on screen just flatly would have rejected my statement. Yeah. And even back as far as even as in the nineties, if somebody was to say to you, there is going to be so much of, of, of science fiction, fantasy, nerdiness, comic book movies that you can't watch them all. Yeah. Like you're not even going to, you, you will, you will actually turn away from what, because before it's like, Anything that comes out, you just watch it. It's like, that's all you got. You're starving. But here it's like, it better be firing on all cylinders. Or, you know, there's plenty of other things to go watch right. that just as good. Yeah. Yeah, just, just speaking as a, as a Star Wars fan, just the amount of Star Wars coming out now is dizzying. And we're we're all spoiled for choice yes well uh circle back around and no we don't need a circle because it's a rambling podcast but um yeah going back to your your vikings uh 5e why'd you choose 5e um it's a game i i've been in a in a group now for 13 years and it's the the First 4E, then 5E were the are the systems I'm most familiar with. I mean, I've written for Evil Hats, so I know the fate system, or I did know the fate system. I'm not sh- I they probably tinkered with it enough over time that I'm not familiar with it now. But um 5E was is what I'm playing and it's what I know best. And so it's what I chose. Now that turned out to be an unfortunate choice, but um, 
Well, I don't know that it is. Um, it, it's hard to say. I mean, you think about mobile. I mean, there's more ways of thinking about this. I mean, one is it's still the most popular system. Right. But you had to probably do a lot of yanking around and, and modifications to get it to. Yeah. I For the game, I had to make up um, a reputation mechanic because reputation, personal reputation, was so important to the Scandinavians of the Viking Age and the Anglo-Saxons. Um, I had to create a lineage mechanic because lineage and proclaiming who you were the son or daughter of or who you were the grandson or student or descendant of was important. Um, a few other things like that where I had to I had to bend the rules a bit to make it do what I wanted it to do and to be historically appropriate. So, um, yeah, and FAPE would definitely would not have been, probably provided it had been further away from the field that you're wanting uh, for this. What, what did you do for fate? Do you publish uh, I anything? Wrote, I wrote um, a pulp supplement for Spirit of the Century uh, way back in the aughts, late aughts. Uh, and I wrote two games for them, uh, The Ministry and Red Planet. And that was, you know, a decade ago. Yeah, I, I must have stopped playing about that. I, I've, you know, Fate was one of those systems that I'm glad I really put the time in. It just it didn't really work out for a number of reasons, but uh, it it does what it does very well. It's just uh, it's hard to get it to work in a way that it, it doesn't break apart. I think it's it's not for everyone and. I eventually gave up trying to write games for it because the limits to what it could be made to do were becoming increasingly evident. But, you know, it's... They've, Evil Hat has gone on to, to great success and more power to them. Yeah, it's also kind of interesting. I, it, it seemed like the Fate system itself is not prominent like it was. Right. And so I'm kind of wondering, you know, my, my, myself wondering why that is. Um, I think people are searching for the new shiny and they just sort of think fate. Okay. Fate's a part of the landscape. What's new. Yeah. Because the, the, uh, the uh, blades in the dark mechanics are what seems to be driving a lot of their um, books. I think. Mm. Yeah. No, it's that's very interesting. Um, no, I've enjoyed it. I think. I think if you want to, to me, if you want to play episode a game that models episode four of Star Wars, I don't think any game does it better than, <laughs> than Fate. If you want to play Rogue One? You don't want to be Fire Fate. Yeah. <laughs> No, but that's very cool. So, yeah. So you went through and and went through these mechanics. Did you do you uh, play test this through your group, or did you go through other means? Or I, I play tested it at a couple of conventions. My cousin's daughter 
was very interested in this. And so she ran her group through a campaign and sent me a lot of notes. Wow. So, so, yeah. so, you're, so who was it that did this year or what? My, my cousin's daughter. So that makes her my, I'm not sure what that makes. I understand. Her. It's like cousin twice removed or whatever. Uh, okay. So how old is she? She is 22. You know, yeah. if, if, if you can, if you can pull in a random 22 year old person, <laughs> they say, I want to play that you're onto something. Well, I, I like to, th I'd like to think that what I wrote is flexible enough to be played any number of ways. I mean, 5e is, has its limitations, but the setting can work for uh, Game of Thrones style hijinks or uh, hack and slash murder hobos or a war, medieval, early medieval war or just uh, tomb raiding and, and getting treasure. So, I mean, I think it's as flexible as any other 5e system. Um, yeah, and, but I mean, I mean, just not only that, but I mean, as far as the, the content, like, so oh, I mean, that, yeah. that, that's what's kind of, I, that to me is what really is kind of good is where you can, somebody says, you know, it's not like where you tend to twist somebody's arm and say, hey, can you try this out? It's like someone says, no, I want to play that. And not only that I want to play it, I want to run it for my group. In fact, right. uh, and I'm I was, excited. <laughs> I was I was very grateful to to Lauren and her group. They gave me a lot of great feedback. Um, in my own group, I in the group I'm playing in, I play tested two different character classes and I'm about to play test a third when we meet up again. Um, I have a, I have an indulgent GM who after looking over the character classes I sent him said, yes, you can do this. And so I got to play the, the Hather, the Viking witch and. Oh, I the, see you are. This is cool. So you're playing, so you created character classes. Right. And your GM's allowing you to play your character classes in an existing non-Vikings game. Right. Oh, that's that's a great idea. I mean, that, that works out great because it, it really kind of allows you to kind of understand yeah. how that's balanced against everything else. Yeah, and it was, I learned a lot about what I had been doing wrong just by playing the character myself because there were things that just didn't work the way I anticipated them working. Um, the, the, the witch I had actually gone, the Viking witch, I was so afraid of making her overpowered that I made her underpowered and realizing that she wasn't on the same level as the average, you know, D and D sorcerer wizard class was kind of a shock because I I thought I'd thought I'd gone I'd prevented myself from going one way, I'd gone too far the other way. Um in the the campaign we're starting up in a couple of weeks, I'm gonna be playing the the empty hand fighter, which was historically the Vikings had combat wrestlers who would just who were these tall, strong, muscular guys who would rush into battle and body slam people. And I made a character class out of that. 
And... I, I assume they had some shields when they would go in, or no, they were just very nimble. the 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 combat wrestling sport is the the martial art was called Fang, and these people, these men, would train in it for years, like sumo wrestlers, basically. And so they they might have a someone guarding their flank, but they just rush in and and duck under or dodge a sword blow or a spear thrust and then grab the <laughs> the opponent. <laughs> and there are all these wrestling moves that they had. It's sort of like a, a technical wrestling, except that the empty hand fighters, which is the direct translation of the Norse, but the empty hand fighters were treated like rock stars by the Scandinavian people because the skull and so some of these wrestlers they do a heel turn to whip up the audience and others would just go the the macho man savage or hulk hogan route and become the sort of character of themselves it's where you get hints of um, the 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 Eddas and sagas and poems will say that so and so flipped such and such onto his back and or uh, slammed him to the ground or or things like that. There are plenty of examples that are in the Norse uh, oral and written culture that we just don't think to think twice about unless it's pointed out to us that, hey, these guys were actually wrestling. Right. Anyway, um, I'm playing one as a, as a pro wrestler type, and I'm excited to have the chance to play someone boastful and over the top and less serious. Yeah, I mean that would be pretty scary to have a big guy just start running, rushing in, pick your pick your fellow uh, uh, peer up, and just start throwing him around like a rag doll. Right. <laughs> I I had to do a little bending with the five E grappling rules, but you know that's that's okay. You don't know. I mentioned before the thing about Doug Cole. Mm. Doug Cole uh, created, uh, I think, some uh, some. Yeah, you have to get with Doug Cole. He created uh, some sort of martial system, utilizing, I think, existing uh, tags, conditions. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember what they were called. Doug Cole. Uh, and. Um, I think it's called combat. Is it called combat tactics? Mm, don't know. 
I'll do, we'll have to look it up later. But anyway, yeah, he he might also want to see what look at what he's done too, because um, okay. he worked within the five E. Basically, I believe is there's like a there's probably what like ten or fifteen different conditions, right? That, and he he I think worked within those I believe. Okay, for those martial arts, but no, that's that sounds that sounds pretty incredible. So, yeah, no, there's plenty of plenty of stuff, plenty of stuff. Um, so the way it's set up is you what you say you have three. There's three books in the set, right? Right. There's the player's guide, which is for the players. It lays out the. Uh, it's essentially a player's handbook for my game. It it has all the new character classes. I created something like 27 new character classes and four new sentient, playable sentient species. Um, it has all the spells. I created 600 new spells for the game. And uh, it's got various historical ethnicities and how they interacted with the Vikings. And if you wanted to play someone from Han China or the Pala Empire in in India or from um, the remnants of Charlemagne's empire, you how you would do that in a 9th century Viking setting. Um, that's the first book. The second book is the world book, which is for the GMs and lays out everything about the world that the setting um the world of england in ninth century people uh anglo anglo saxons and vikings cultures and religion and personalities and uh what was weighing on their mind um world book has treasure it's got uh, all this stuff about the viking invasion which is the premise of the the game and then the third book is the uh, bestiary, which is two hundred and forty odd monsters. So yeah, that's uh, you're you have <laughs> quite a bit of work going into this. Uh... Yeah, it would. It took me three years to do. Um, I I put a lot of work into it because I wanted to include as much as possible of what I found. No, it sounds like it's 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 absolutely packed with with stuff, and I think the nice thing too is, you know, it's it's not just you know, I guess assuming the GMs are are you know obviously okay with it, but it's just a right. uh, but people can use it in their D and D campaign. So, and it could be for a GM, you could not only just use as is, but you could even just flavor your campaign. Sure the the world book is mostly system agnostic, so. There's a lot of stuff in there that anyone doing a historical game or a historical fantasy game looking can could you could draw upon and use. Um, I mean, most people are going to be doing high medieval fantasy role playing like Pathfinder, like D and D. But you know, if you wanted to do something a little more primitive and a little earlier, uh, I think the World Book is a great resource for it yeah i i agree it's uh just a lot of lot of information a lot of stuff that's inspirational that's what's nice about a lot of different things is just the uh sometimes the books are just 
if you don't run them directly, they just make great inspiration. I hope so. Yeah. So this is not your first Kickstarter. No. Um, I had a Kickstarter for a children's book uh, that didn't work. And then I did a Kickstarter for the Encyclopedia of Golden Age Superheroes. And that one, that one fulfilled. And as promised in the Kickstarter, I made it into a free website, which I continue to maintain. Uh, the encyclopedia covered every Golden Age hero except one who I overlooked. Oh no! And it haunts you to this it, day. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, I I I I gnash my teeth and 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 am full of rue about it. But yeah, I got everyone except that one character. So so, what, what character was it that got missed? Doctor Hormone, who used hormones to change uh, criminals' personalities. Oh, uh, okay, the personalities, okay. <laughs> yeah, my friend John Morris wrote the, um, wrote the, the Encyclopedia of Regrettable Heroes and the Encyclopedia of Regrettable Villains, and he included Dr. Hormone in the, in the Regrettable Heroes. And I saw that and was slapping my forehead and thinking, how did I miss this guy? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's crazy. So what, what was the inspiration for, for coming up with this encyclopedia? I'm assuming there, there wasn't one before. Is that the, the reason? Um, the encyclopedia was because I got interested in Golden Age superheroes. And way back in the 90s, when there were... There was wasn't as much of anything online. I started doing some doing a web page that had a bunch of Golden Age superheroes on it. And then I it it became sort of a, a obsession with me finding tracking down every last superhero. And then I, I reached the point where none of the secondary books were going to tell me anything new and I had to go and, and actually read the comic. So I, I ran the Kickstarter, which funded a trip to Michigan State University, which has all these comics. And I spent two weeks there doing research and then turned, turned the encyclopedia into the website and then into, um, into a print book. And the obsession went away once it was over. So the the thing is, I can appreciate the obsessions. I do have obsessions that I have to do, but never to the extent that you're doing yours. <laughs> well, you know what they say, nothing exceeds like excess. But also, if if you're willing to do something, you might as well overdo it. And that's me. I I... I write long, I write too much, and I get obsessed with these ideas, and I can't stop until I've scratched the itch to turn them into a book or a role-playing game or something. 
you know, I, I really get that. I'm on the same way. And, um, it's just, um, it's not, it's not, it's not very comfortable having that happen. It's like, I don't know. Can I just yeah. watch TV? <laughs> Can I just be a normal person? <laughs> yeah, it would be nice. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've, I've got the, uh, so I bought the bot. I don't buy it. Uh, the, there's a Marvel Unlimited app where you can read Marvel comics. And, uh, and going back to the, the, you know, the, the comics of my youth, uh, well, it's my youth of, of, we'll say of the eighties. Um, wow. They're, they're not good. <laughs> yeah, they were, were, a lot of them are not good. Um, but I think if you look at them as full of potential that was never realized, you can come up, you can, in, at least for me, I enjoy them better when I, I value the potential and what they attempted to, to do rather than how they turned out. Well, I think the problem is, this is where, it, to me, it's kind of the dilemma. So I can read a modern comic, which I think is the pacing is a whole lot better. It seemed like in the eighties they just yeah. they just dumped exposition, and same thing with yep. you know with Jack Kirby. I love Kirby stuff, but man, just like dumping so much exposition, and everybody has to speak large amounts of exposition. It's like this is just crazy. But then, you know, if you get a more modern comic, like you can flip through the whole thing in like like you know fifteen minutes or ten minutes, and you're like, I spent that much money for you know. So it's kind of I find myself kind of funny where I. You know, the more modern comics, I'll, I'll a lot of times will buy like on a hum, humble bundle and just read them that way. Right. But, uh, but, um, uh, do, you, do you know the comic Knights of the Dinner Table? I've heard of it. I've never I've never actually read it. It is. It's basically about four, four, five people at a role playing game table playing role playing a, a D like role-playing game and the art is simplistic to the point of each most of the panels are the same so it's all talk and nights of the dinner t table takes me like three times as long to get through as the average comic these days because i'm reading all this dialogue yeah. and i I feel like I'm really getting my money's worth out of nights at the dinner table where I'm not with ordinary comics. Yeah. Especially there's been some, I've, I can't remember specific ones, but very beautiful, very minimalistic. It's almost like, you know, been, been choreographed like a movie where it's just very, you know, cinematograph, but just all of a sudden it's just like, wow, that was crazy. It's over. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was also crazy. There's Machine Man. Loved Machine Man in my uh, in my youth miniseries, the Bernie Wrightson covers, and then I ended up right. reading it. I think the year was set in like 2023 or 2024, and the premise was Machine Man's like, well, all the people I know are dead, like like they all died of old age. Like it's like <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? It's, like it, it's only talking about you know we're only talking like it, like. Uh, you know, like, you know, like 40 years or 30 years. It's just like deception is everybody be all 
like grown old and dead, but like even the people that were, drew the comic back then are right are still alive. It's just like it just is kind of funny some right. of the, the assumptions and you know, but you know, in kind of some things they kind of would get right where you know people were hooked up to these machines to pacify themselves and to but they're massive machines. They're, they got that right, but but now it's just a phone, you know. It, it's right, yeah. <laughs> that little device. So no, that is very fun. In fact, the, the golden age of superheroes. Looking through the the regret I have of of this is that you your some of your stretch goals. Where I think I would have taken advantage of this had I had I known back in the day, but you also for um, I think for this one um, for a hundred dollars. You said that you will um, you will thoroughly research one topic of my choice. Yeah, I was putting my library skills to use for in exchange for filthy lucre, and I that's part of my Patreon. One of the Patreon levels for me is to be a personal reference librarian for someone. And I did not know that. Take, nobody takes me up on that. And Are you serious? I didn't know you had a Patreon. Yes. Yes, I do. Um, I try to do an essay of interest every month. Um, not always successful, but I... I I try and it's not going to be anything else like anything else you're reading. So I think the Patreon's pretty good. So what's the level that gets but, you yeah, a, a, a research start? Oh, all four levels. There we go. $20 a month. Uh, where's it? Uh... Right. And the people who have asked me to do that have been very satisfied with what I've produced for them because as I said, college librarian, I've got access to uh, hundreds of thousands of electronic books and tens of millions of articles and newspaper articles and monographs and just a whole host of things. And sometimes I can't find anything because there's nothing out there, but most of the time I'm, I'm able to put together at least a couple of pages. So, yeah, um, I'm happy to do it, and it it's good that I'm pretty good at it. So, yeah. Wow, a librarian, a college librarian for hire. Exactly. <laughs> How could you not take up? So what level get, so what's, how's that work for the, to, to get, to get the articles? What is, what's the level for, for, for gaining that? Oh. Uh, uh, let's see. It's either. Oh gosh, I don't remember. Oh, um, oh, ten dollars a month. It says better still for ten dollars a month. I'll be your personal researcher. Got a question that's bugging you? Need help doing research? I'll do that for you. I'm a professional reference librarian. Uh, so you know, I because I, I've just started using Chat GPT, right? But you're you'd be even better because. <laughs> it would be, I, I could be confidence in your accuracy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have not ventured into chat GPT yet. I'm sort of afraid to, I might fall down the 
the rabbit hole and never return. But um, yeah, there is compared. I, I wrote a, a encyclopedia on Victorian fiction back in the 2004, and I revisited it during the pandemic and did another edition of it. And the change in what is available online, especially through uh, through my college, through the 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 um, the pay databases, is there aren't words for it how much more stuff is available now than there used to be. And so there are there are a few topics that I can't find something on because there are a few topics that people haven't written about these days. It's kind of kind of glorious actually. I I ask myself a question, I do a little bit of researching and then up it pops. Hmm. Well that's that's very cool. That's very cool. Yeah, and I, I find it remarkable that, you know, uh, I mean, you know, for, for somebody to actually have found their calling, I find that very, uh, very, uh, uh, um, very cool, because I, I sure haven't. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I sort of stumbled into this through non-reproducible means. Um, I, I I count myself very fortunate in my position because it, I I'm kept busy at work, but not so busy that I can't do other things. And other things include academic writing on any topic I'm interested in, just so long as it's academic. So I can I I wrote a book on the history of horror in the 20th century. I wrote a book on the evolution of the concept of superheroes. And got them published through respectable publishers, and because they are academic in nature, I got to do it on the job, which is is a great scam. So, so <laughs> get this straight. So <laughs> that's incredible. So if if it's academic writing, it's okay because that's part of because what I think if I understand because I've not really really had the full college experience, but I'm, so I'm assuming is they're wanting uh, basically informed smart people to be librarians, not just somebody who grab a book. Well, yeah. Um, part of the job listing for academic librarians is to publish. And I've been fortunate in my professional life that my bosses haven't made me publish about librarianship, which is pretty boring. They, they have said they have told me that as long as what you're writing is academic, then go wild. And so, I'm I research anything from Texas barber laws to the history of uh, women warriors in the Middle Ages, just anything. Anything that's relevant to what I'm doing research on, and I can do it during the eight to five job. Man, no, nobody can get my job because I already have it. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, 
Now that is that is amazing. So uh, so there's no career path for anybody else. You have to find their own way because it's uh, you, you just you tumbled into it. So all yeah. good. That's that's amazing. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just you know there's I think there are a few people that have been able to just know from from very early on what they want to do and they do it and or they stumble upon a job that they know they want to do and there's the rest of us are like I enjoy aspects of my job but. I really just would rather not be doing it if I could do something else. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Um, I, I find my job fulfilling because I get to teach my library is part college library, part public library. So I get, tweens and kids coming up to me asking me for help with their math problems and i tell them the answer and they go away happy and i feel like that justifies my my place on earth because i i made a kid's day and right. then i get older people who are asking for you know women's shelters or equal opportunity lawyers or something like that and on the college side i'm teaching kids who are fresh off the farm or first generation college students. And so I can, it, that part of the, being a librarian, I think is, is pretty fulfilling and it's, I enjoy that aspect of it, but I also get to write. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because the, you know, the view of a library and especially the, the internet age is really, it seems like it's really been, I don't want to say turned on its head, but it really has expanded out exactly what a library is. Right. We're the advent of computers changed a lot because then we the things we were required to know changed. Um when I got my library degree in ninety-four, ninety-five, part of my final was a list of fifty reference books that I had to know off the top of my head. Well, now I can just look them up on the catalog. You know, I don't need to know these things off the top of my head. I need right. to know other things. And, you know, but at the same time, the library, the library is now a much more open place to, um, to the public and to uh, college kids, we're not um, we're not as exclusive. We're not as classist, and I think that's a good thing. right. I think it's become even more of I don't say community oriented, but really in a sense, it, it sort of is. And and it, right and is yeah. you're, you're talking about even helping people. It's it's changed from just getting people books. Too. it's like right the people have some really neat you know s strong needs and you know, even if it's just shelter it's like <laughs> yeah so yeah we're there's an element of social work in librarianship that i i find personally appealing and it it beats what i was doing before this so yeah, it's uh, it is interesting how the world changes, and you know, roles change, and and uh, some things for 
for the worse, but in some cases, things for the better. And, and I yeah. think you're right. A lot of the stuff, you know, was expected, you know, I kind of like shrug, like, you know, people talking about curse of dying. Like, well, I, I would rather not write if I don't have to. It's like, it's like, it's like I type everything I could possibly type. And if I do write, uh, it's just, it's very sloppy and hard to read, but it's just like, I don't know that it's earth shattering that we've switched more to keyboards rather than, than writing, but right. some people get all up in arms about it. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, well, God bless the people who have the time to waste. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know. It's, it's like I sometimes with the, the internet and people getting upset and, and with a person, then they'll go, then they'll go look at all the people that they follow on Twitter and they'll come back and like, well, I'm not surprised. Cause it's like, well, you got a lot of time on your hands. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, let's go through I love some Twitter, people. but yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's go the, ahead. Oh, no, I just say, but that's the age we, we live in. People just feel outraged and feel the need to, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Jess. The world's a world's a strange place. Yeah. Well, I think we're uh, hitting the time space continuum, and uh, and and your Kickstarter. You still have another how many more days to go? Uh, it ends a week from Wednesday. Yeah, so this will be dropping tomorrow. on Saturday, this Saturday. So that'll be what, like the okay, know, great. Yeah. So everybody needs to go out and. Give the uh, the Viking uh, Kickstarter a, a boost, and uh, check out Jess's Patreon and keep him employed with academic questions. Please do. I'm I'm happy <laughs> to help, and not enough people ask me to do this. So fire away. Yeah. So uh, who knows what will happen now? You may you may be uh, you may be uh, have a barrage of all sorts of strange questions. But uh, anyway, well, thanks for coming on, Jess. It's is really great. Well, thanks for having me i i I enjoyed it okay we'll have you back uh for your next kickstarter whenever that whenever that might be i've got one planned for next year for another game but not 5d related at all okay it's uh horror film noir Ooh, ooh, yeah ooh, that sounds great the title is i've already written it i was very productive during the pandemic uh, it's called what the studio wants and the premise is that you're hired by the studio you and your party members to go retrieve these lost silent films only the silent films tend to be cursed and so you've got to break the curse and get them home before a certain time period but there are complications and broken hearts and femme fatale and other stuff. So. Well, that'd be great. I'd be, be glad to uh, have you on when that's, when that uh, hits the Kickstarter then. Well, thank you. I will be happy to be here. Okay. Well, thanks again, Jess. Talk to you later. 